What does it mean to be Chinese Indonesian and Catholic in Indonesia, the Netherlands, and the Middle East? In this episode, Felix shares his stories of growing up as a double minority in Jakarta in the 90s and the various manifestations of racism he experiences in the Netherlands and one country in the Middle East. His story is about the entangled history of identities, leading to situations where people find themselves stuck somewhere in between. I'm Fumi, this is Hashtag R Racism, and this is the story of Felix. I grew up in Indonesia. I was born in Indonesia. I was actually born to Chinese Indonesian parents and family, which is also a minority in Indonesia. Uh, but it's the same like in Thailand or Vietnam or any other Southeast Asian countries, right? There's always Chinese Vietnamese, Chinese Thai, and I happen to be Chinese Indonesian. And I also grew up in a Catholic family. So my parents, they are Catholic and my whole family from my mom's side, from my dad's side, majority are Catholic. So that's also a minority. So in a sense, I grew up in a double minority environment. But to be honest, I also stick to when I went to high school, for instance, I went to a Catholic school. It was started by Dutch priests back in, I don't know, 1927 or something. And um, yeah, even there, Chinese Indonesians are the majority. So we were, I would say, maybe 80, 90 percent. And they're also 80-90% Catholic. So in a way, yes, I'm a minority if you look at the context of Indonesia as, as a country. But given the context where I live, I'm not really a minority because all my friends, or not all my friends, but majority of my friends are also Chinese Indonesian. Yeah, that's just the environment that I grew up in. Um, reflecting a bit about racism, I think when I was young, I was also a perpetrator of uh, racism, right? There's a lot of biases integrated as part of our culture and society. To give you one example, I grew up playing basketball. And in Indonesia, we don't always have indoor courts. We play most of the time in outdoor courts. And as a result of that, of course, I get tanned. And whenever I see my grandparents, they're like, hey, how come you um, you have so, so dark skin? And this dark skin has, so, has negative association towards people who work with uh, labor and, and get exposed to the sun all the time. And of course, when I was young, I didn't think that was part of racism, right? But the more I grew up, the more I, uh, yeah, as I moved to other countries, doing different experiences, and I realized that this is an example of just society biases that we have in Indonesia. And I think it might also be true, not only in Indonesia, but also in other countries in Asia. We also have I think there is a general perception that, for instance, Indonesian Indonesians are lazier compared to Chinese Indonesian, but I don't find it true because I also have friends who are Indonesian Indonesians and they are way smarter and they they work much harder than some of us. Yeah, So, of course, you can always find examples that supports or contradicts your argument, but to make such a generalization, I think it's just wrong. So these two are some of the examples that... Yeah, it's just like, even from family, right? It's your closest people that you talk to, you learn from them from day one on earth, and they also have these biases. And I think now I'm trying to yeah, re-educate them a little bit when these things happen, that, hey, uh, think about this and that, that you might 
yeah these are biases that may not always be true at least that's that's what i'm trying to say and it's not only about skin color but also religion there's always in the catholic of course there, there are extremes right i also happen to met a friend who is very extreme in in the in catholic and i don't agree at all with what this person is saying but when we talk about extremism normally it's associated to muslims which is unfortunate yes you find all, of course examples that for instance i think now you see more and more women wearing hijab but also they cover their face so you can only see their eyes and 20 years ago i don't think you see that very often but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a sign of extremism there's a change in the culture i agree but to say that that's a sign of extremism uh, i'm not entirely sure and i'm not the best person to say whether it's true or not this just to kind of summarize a little bit of the biases that we have in indonesia growing up yeah i also felt that racism it happens most of the time to people who have less power or who are minority and as i said in my high school i was actually the majority and you know high school kids are mean doesn't matter where it's in the US or it's in Mozambique in Indonesia high school kids are mean and we do have those examples where i'm one of probably the worst people to talk to because i keep telling people you know some of my friends they show behavior of gay and we just call him gay all the time and oh by the way i went to all boys school all boys high school so there it's even harsher if you show a bit of um yeah gay behavior and everyone in the school calls you gay and that's yeah for me that that's that's very serious bullying i would say maybe not so much in terms of yeah racism in a way from looking at color or 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 religion but i think for me it still falls under racism because that's part of your identity felix shares one childhood memory he vividly remembers to this day Some people will recall there was Asian financial crisis back in 1998. And from the way I see it and what I learned so far is that the Chinese Indonesians were the scapegoat of that crisis. As a consequence of that, there were a lot of violent acts including rapes towards Chinese Indonesian. And at that time I was 5 years old. So obviously I don't remember, but one thing, one instance that I remember There was basically a lot of, you know, demonstration and chaos. People are destroying stores and of course for us we're also a bit afraid that we're going to be attacked right at some point. And one instance that I remember was that I picked up my sword. It's Power Ranger sword. I was 5 and I thought like I'm going to go with my dad because I saw my dad was holding like a baseball bat or something. And so the background story is that apparently in that compound someone heard that there are a group of mass people they're trying to uh, destroy houses and they are walking or moving towards our area and so these people including my dad they wanted to protect the compound right and um yeah it's more like a blurry yeah memory that i have but i don't think i will forget that for the rest of my life and it's kind of sad in a way but yeah it it's true Luckily nothing happened so it was just a false alarm but there was a lot of violent acts towards Chinese Indonesians and partly also it's driven by the fact if you google top 100 richest Indonesians probably majority of them are Chinese Indonesian 
So they are the easiest, well, I wouldn't say the easiest, but they are the clear scapegoats saying, hey, these rich people are trying to maintain their power and they create a crisis for the rest of the country, right? Well, the rich, they're unaffected, but the rest of the country, they are affected. And yeah, at least that's that's my experience and that, that's what I know. I cannot say it's 100% truth, but at least that's what I have been informed and what I have learned so far. Felix reflects on the experiences of being Chinese-Indonesian today against the background of Indonesia's history. In our generation, we don't see much of a different experience. We're Indonesian, sure. Like we look a bit different, but we're Indonesian. And no one treats us differently. But looking back to the history, there was, an, I think back in the 60s, our back then president basically imposed a rule that none of foreign names are allowed. So, for instance, if you have, I don't know, a Chinese restaurant that has Chinese name or American restaurant, it says, uh, I don't know, New Jersey something, these establishments are not allowed. So you have to change all the names to Indonesians. And of course, these are the stories that my parents or my grandparents were telling me. They felt a bit offended because they cannot maintain their own culture in a way. So that was just to give a bit of a context. And I think... Statistically, if I'm not, I might need to check the number again, but let's say if we look at Indonesia, I think Chinese Indonesians make up probably single digit percent. So not even 20 or 30 percent, right? But these populations, I have to say, they are also quite concentrated in big cities. So if we look at the population of big cities, then it could be Jakarta, for instance, I grew up in Jakarta. I'm not surprised if the population of Chinese Indonesians make up maybe 10%. And also in Jakarta, there are certain areas where most of Chinese Indonesians, if you go to those areas, you probably see 70, 80% Chinese Indonesians. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's also the same like in, in the Western world, right? And when I even live in the Netherlands, there are certain areas where Moroccans live, there are certain areas where Tur- the Turkish live, and there are certain areas where the Chinese live. So it's also the same, but I guess it's just a bigger scale because of the size of Jakarta itself. Felix didn't think much about racism until after high school, when he moved to the Netherlands to pursue his tertiary education. There, he would experience different things as a Chinese-Indonesian. In the Netherlands, that's the start, when I start to see that, okay, that racism exists, right? But I guess... I'm a bit fortunate because, in general, I think Dutch people have positive view of Indonesians as, for instance, being nice, being kind, maybe not always associated as people who have like very high education or, you know, uh, who can be climb the ladder, successful people, all these kind of things, maybe not necessarily that way, but, you know, how the... For instance, a general, I'm making generalization here, right? Like how the Americans are seeing the Mexicans. And that, that's very, very negative. And that's different between the Dutch and the Indonesian. Yes, Indonesian was, Indonesia was part of the colony back then. But I think we are not, we're now in the phase that, you know, the past is the past. And now let's continue forward. Just to give a, a bit of context as well. There were a lot of Indonesians who moved to the Netherlands back in the 60s and also in the 90s. So 60s because of that event that I mentioned earlier, where people really have to change their names. And 
I don't know how bad it was, but obviously some people were not happy and they decided to move. So a lot of people moved to US, Australia and Netherlands and maybe Canada as well. And the 90s was the same, right? There was a crisis and some people have relatives in the Netherlands and they decided to move to the Netherlands. So there's quite some Indonesian community in the Netherlands. And even once I was in a train and then there's the conductor checking the train, right? And I'm giving my, my, my tickets and he was like, oh, you're Indonesian. And then he started talking in Indonesian. And I was like, wow. And, and this is like Dutch, Dutch, white Dutch. And I was very surprised that it was probably in my first or second year. So I, I knew, yes, Indonesians are very much very welcome or yeah, at least we are accepted in the Netherlands. But I didn't know that there's a lot of interest in Indonesian culture. So yeah, that's, I think, the nice thing about being Indonesian in the Netherlands. Being Chinese Indonesian, probably not the best because, yeah, there are some kids every now and then who think that I'm Chinese and they would just call me how, but I think this is very common everywhere, right? I'm not necessarily triggered by these. I just like let it go or I make fun of it. And these are just uneducated people who obviously try to ruin your day, but you know, if I give them their attention, then yes, um, they're going to be successful. But if I just let it go, like they're just wasting their energy. That's the way I see it. And the funny thing is that some of these kids or most of these kids, to be honest, are also not Dutch Dutch. They are foreign born Dutch. So it's funny that to see, you know, and yeah, it's just funny for me that both immigrants trying to mock each other. And it's like, what's the point? But also, I had one funny encounter. I was in a tram, and then there's this teenager sitting in front of me. And he said, like, anyhow, and I said, like, look, I'm not Chinese. Normally, I ignore them, but because I had to sit in that tram for the next five minutes, I don't want him to say anyhow for five minutes, right? And I said, like, look, yeah, I'm not Chinese. And he said, like, oh, where are you from? And I said, like, Indonesia. And then he said, apa kabar? And apa kabar means, just how are you in Indonesian? So in a way that, I don't know, it made me think, is he trying to insult me or is he trying to be nice? And that, that made me think for a bit. And now sometimes when I see people doing these things, it depends a bit on the context, right? If you're walking you know, in the city center and then there's a group of kids like 20, 30 meters away from you and they're just shouting me how, sure, then they're trying to insult you. But in this instance, this guy is sitting right in front of me. And he's saying anyhow. And we ended up talking for like, I don't know, five minutes maybe. So, you know, maybe it's when someone says uh, this kind of slurs, take it with a grain of salt. Maybe they're trying to be nice. I think majority still people would try to insult you, but um, it's nice to, to get a bit of a different experience. Felix shares a story of how his friend responds in such situations. I have this nice story from a friend, so it's not me. So, yeah, she's also Asian, right? And we were just talking about instances where people call us in, in some language. And in this case, she was called, uh, I think, Arigato or something Japanese. And this person kept saying Arigato, Arigato, Arigato until like 20, I don't know, maybe let's say 10 times. And it was get to the point that it's embarrassing and it's not pleasant. There are other people as well, right, around. 
And she, you know, the first response is that, are you Japanese? And the guy was completely caught off guard. He didn't know what to say, and then he just left. And I think for those Asians who have had this experience and want to make it a bit more fun, if you called Ni Hao or whatever, just tell them, are you Chinese? And I think it's just a fun way to make out of it. After the Netherlands, Felix moved to a country in the Middle East for his work. There, he would see and experience something different. When I moved to this country from the Netherlands, I received a European package because I worked in the Netherlands. But I also have Indonesian friends who moved to this country from Indonesia, and they get much less. Yes, of course, we're doing different jobs, but basically they look at where you're from, especially their passport. I think I'm kind of like exception. Not many people have cases like me, but if you are, let's say, French versus Indonesian doing the same job, a French person would probably get maybe double in some cases, the salary. So that's, for me, that's clear racism. I understand that they want to attract more Westerners, but I don't think that's the right way of doing it. So that's one serious topic. Another serious topic is I find they put people in boxes. So for instance, the taxi drivers are 99% Pakistani and 1% Indian, probably something like that. And the salespeople in shopping malls, they are Filipinos. Or in the fancy ones, they are probably Eastern Europeans. So if you go to like the expensive shops, then yeah, most of them are uh, Eastern Europeans. And for me, this is, this is creating racism because people would then think, okay, all taxi drivers are Pakistani. It doesn't matter if it's in that country. If you grew up in that country, knowing that all the taxi drivers are Pakistani, and then you go to another country, you would naturally think that the taxi drivers are also Pakistani, but maybe not. it's not true most of the time, right? And one other serious experience that I had, and of course, the first two topics, this, the, the salary and putting people in boxes, I was not a victim, right? I was an observer. But the last one, I am a victim of that. It's about driving license. Very simple. Maybe it's just you know annoying for some people. But for me, I don't think this is correct. For Indonesian pa- moving to this country, wanting to change their uh, driving license to the local driving license. First, they have Indonesian passport and they have Indonesian driving license, right? In this case, they have to start taking classes from zero. They have to take classes, they have to take tests to get the local driving license. On the opposite spectrum, if you are French and you have French passport, you have French driving license, you basically just need to pay a certain amount, I don't know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and then you get your local driving license in, yeah, whatever, five minutes. And I fall somewhere in between. And I think this is also the topic of my life. Like I'm just like somewhere in between, doesn't know like where I belong. I have Indonesian passport, but with Dutch driving license. And basically they told me that, yeah, yeah, you don't have to take the classes, it's fine, but you have to take the test. So then the first thing that came to my mind is that, so you're judging my driving skills based on my passport, not my driving license, my, not my driving license. And I'm like, okay, hell no, I'm not playing your game because this is not right. So in the end, I didn't convert my driving license. So I just use taxi all the time. And in that scenario, it, it works out for me because 
I live quite close to the office and taking taxi every day, it's not a big deal. Yeah, and it's not as expensive as in Europe, right? I think I remember one way would cost me maybe four or five euro. So it's not small, but compared to owning a car and paying the parking, the gas and the fines, financially, it also works out for me. But maybe if I would replay the scenario, if I could just swap my driving license with my Dutch driving license, maybe I would have done it. But yeah, because of this instance, I was like, no, I'm not playing your game. And so to be honest, that's also why I think there are certain values in, in that region or in that area that doesn't really resonate with me, that made me un uncomfortable also living in that place. And I decided to move back to Europe. Felix reflects upon when he started engaging with the subject of racism. I obviously see them when I was in high school as I was one of the perpetrators, but I didn't see that as a problem yet. I think, funny enough, I learned racism mostly from living in the Netherlands, but also just looking or reading what's about what's happening in the U.S. And that's actually how, because that's for me, what's happening in the U.S., that's as worse as it can get. Well, probably worse in history than it could be. It's basically, yeah, Nazism and also uh, the apartheid in South Africa. That's probably the worst that it could get in history, right? But in, in our days, that's how bad it could get. And of course, there's a role of media that's, you know, exposing all these acts. But then it started to get me thinking, the more I learn about it and the more I find it in day-to-day in -day life. And I started reflecting, okay, maybe what I did back in Indonesia was not right. And then it's a long process, right? But if you would ask me when I started, I think when I, yeah, it was more when I moved to the Netherlands, because in the Netherlands, you have the Moroccans and the Turkish, which are kind of the Mexicans for Dutch people. And I also have friends, that like more, I used to have uh, Moroccan and, and Turkish friends. And then getting exposed to the things that happen in the U.S. through media news and stuff. And when I was living in Indonesia, I didn't get that kind of exposure. Like I, I was watching like Indonesian news. And but after I moved out, then I followed the English news. And most of them, they are around yeah, Europe or, or U.S. And that's when it all started. Against the background of his experiences, Felix has a following to say on what he thinks it means to be anti-racist. I think for me, it's just, you know, as I said, it's integrated in our society and it's a long process. It's not like uh, you just snap your finger and then you become anti-racist, right? It's a process and you have to be disciplined. And for me, it's more just calling out myself when I do that. And if I see other people doing that, it's hard to judge whether it's whether I have to do something about it or not. Is it my responsibility? Is it my place to tell this person that it's not right? For me, that's still hard to navigate. If I can, normally I do that. But I think if I could share the best practice, for me, it's, you know, if people want to hurt you, don't give them your energy. For me, it's as simple as that. Because it's, it's basically satisfying their needs, right? That's what they want to achieve. And if you just make fun out of it, you know, it's fine and let it go. Just like my friend who's asking, like, are you Japanese? For me, that's 
the ultimate answer. If I could do that all the time, I would do that all the time. You can find more information about the history of Chinese Indonesians in Indonesia, as well as other articles, books, and videos Felix recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you next month on June 7th. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Music by Pete Morse, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. This podcast is powered by the Competence Center for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of St. Gallen. A big thank you to Felix for his time and energy in sharing with us his stories and insightful reflections on this issue.